You're listening to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, and today we'll be talking to the assessment team from the Louisiana Department of Education all about their work with innovative assessments. This is such an important topic in literacy because it connects to what we know about equitable assessment through reading science, specifically the impact of knowledge on assessment. Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. We are so excited today because today we are talking all things assessment with our new friends from the Louisiana Department of Education. We're going to hear from them about why knowledge should be a critical consideration in assessment and what's changed on Louisiana assessments to align with research. Yeah, we've been hearing about what Louisiana's doing with assessment for so long now. But so long. <laughs> now we get to actually hear it. So we have three amazing colleagues from Louisiana Department of Education. We have Sharon Nikase, Alyssa Kilpatrick, and Ruth Cayouette. And they will talk to us all about this innovative work they're doing um, with the state reading comprehension assessments. Ooh, well, we're so glad that you're all here with us. I'd love to kick this off with each of you sharing a little bit more about yourselves. And I'm hoping that Sharon, you would start us off. Sure. Thanks for having us, Melissa and Lori. Glad to be here and talk about our work. It's exciting. I'm Sharon Nikase. I'm the Deputy Assistant Superintendent of Academic Content here at the department. I taught uh, English and was an instructional coach for 18 years in a small rural district just north of our capital city in Baton Rouge. Came to the department, uh, honestly, through the literacy route, doing contract work at first when the we switched to the new standards to develop curriculum materials that eventually took me to the department and led to the development of an ELA curriculum for grades three through 12 called ELA Guidebooks. Uh, it's the most widely used ELA curriculum in, um, in Louisiana right now. I stepped away and did some ed tech work, and now I'm back leading up all of academic content and happy to work on this project with Ruth and, and Elisa. Love it. You guys are doing such amazing things with literacy, so thank you for all of that work. And we'll pass it over to Ruth. Hi, I'm Ruth Calumet. I am uh, the Innovative Assessment Program Coordinator at uh, Louisiana Department of Education. I am happy to be here with all of you folks, and uh, I'm also uh, thankful to get to work with uh, Sharon again, who uh, we taught together many years ago. I uh, began my career uh, as a middle and high school English teacher, and uh, Enjoyed that work for 20 years and then went on to teach at the university level um, English courses in um, Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio, and worked to train future English teachers and uh, enjoyed work with so many different folks across the country, but um, came back home and wanted to uh, to get back to, to my roots and so came back to Louisiana uh, for this position and have been enjoying working with such fabulous folks and getting to explore the fun of this project. So uh, very, very happy to be here. So thank you. All right, Elisa. Hello, thank y'all for having us. We're super excited to be um, part of the podcast today. So my name is Elisa Kilpatrick, and I am the Assessment Content Director here at the Department of Education. Um, my background is I was an educator uh, for uh, I guess my 16th year. I started as an elementary teacher and then moved into a lot of work with special education and then was a uh, an NIET master teacher for several years and then worked my way up through the district, um, actually in the northern part of the state, just out of Parrish, shout out, um, and made my way back uh, here closer to home. I'm from South Louisiana. And now working uh, with all these wonderful people here at the Department of Education. So I've uh, been in this position for about two years. I'm not sure if I said that. So again, thank you all for having us and I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Elisa. And thank you to you all for being here. I also want to note that we also have 
Lior clears with us. He's our resident assessment guru. I don't know how else to explain it other than with that fabulous intro. (laughs) Lior, welcome back to the podcast. We're we're thrilled to have you. Thank you. you. Happy to be here and happy to be here with with some colleagues from Louisiana. I'm very lucky to work with them on the Louisiana Innovative Assessment Project. I'm not from Louisiana. Uh, I work at Great Minds where I'm the (laughs) director of humanities assessment. I just happen to live in Dallas, Texas. And like many of these folks, I I taught English before, and I also worked at the Tennessee Department of Education. We worked on assessment and other things. But this innovative assessment project has has allowed me to work closely with this Louisiana team and many other folks that cast of hundreds, it feels like is, is a really big group. Uh, and I'm sure <laughs> we'll get into throughout this call what, what that looks like, because it is very rare and very unique for a curriculum provider to work with State Department of Education on an assessment. And we'll we'll dig we'll dig into exactly how that came to be throughout this podcast. Yeah, that's so helpful. And just to kind of stamp that the Louisiana Department of Education is working with great minds. And is it are they are you working with others as well? Yes. Okay. Uh, to create innovative assessments, but with great minds based on wit and wisdom. Um, yep. So, Lior, thank you for that framing. That's really helpful. Yeah, so we can't wait to jump in and learn all about what you all are doing in Louisiana uh, with assessment. But we want to start with where did it begin? So where did this all start? And why was Louisiana like the place for this to start? Yeah, I think I can kind of fill in some of the history. So kind of in the intro, I talked a little bit about the development of uh, an ELA curriculum for grades three through 12 that we you know, kicked off here at the Dartmouth, but honestly is written by teachers for teachers. We contract with teacher leader advisors to write the content and have made iterations over the years. Um, and when the feds released, you know, application for to innovate an assessment to apply, Louisiana applied because we have this curriculum that's so widely used. And we thought, hey, we know the importance of building knowledge in reading comprehension. We know that that's, you know, one of the biggest roadblocks for, for understanding. And if we have so many students and so many schools and so many school systems building that same knowledge to these similar units, what an opportunity to innovate on assessment to see, can we create this, you know, this system that supports the equity and doesn't preference previous experience, but preferences the knowledge that students build in that curriculum. And so we went for it, um, you know, and so we started with guidebooks. We started with, uh, you know, grade seven and then six, eight. Um, but then we also know we can't put our head in the sand. We, we have other school systems and schools who use other products uh, that we um, some of which we we identify as high quality through our IMR, our instructional materials review process. And Great Minds Wit and Wisdom product is one of those. It's the second most widely used curriculum in grades uh, three. Well, I don't know, three twelve, but definitely uh, three eight. Um, and so that's how this partnership started with Great Minds. It's like, hey, we kicked this off with guidebooks and we are innovating an assessment and trying to really assess the knowledge that's being built, not just the skills in their curriculum, but let's see what we can do with other curriculum as well. That's so helpful. Thank you so much. I'm wondering if Lior wants to add anything to that. Lior, I know you have a lot of thoughts on assessment and we chatted a bit beforehand, but do you have anything to add to what Sharon shared? Yeah, well, um, I think it's it's interesting the way Sharon framed it. It starts with this this recognition that Louisiana has a, an advantage. This this um, this high quality curriculum movement in Louisiana. That's a it's, it's a thing, right? And 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 you have you have great coverage that, that maybe a lot of states don't have. It creates conditions to make this possible. I, I think what's really interesting is kind of intersecting with that almost at the same time is is some of the theory behind why we're doing this and. Part of that has to do with the way that that assessment of reading at least works in a lot of other states. And I think worked in Louisiana, actually, prior to the innovative assessment, which is is that typically state reading assessments are based on on these passages that we call cold reads. Um, And I think you've probably discussed cold reads on the podcast before. But just in case you have any new listeners, a cold read would be a a passage that students encounter on a test for which they have no preparation. It's new, a new topic new author, new text. They have no idea it's coming. It's totally random. They're coming, they're coming to it cold. And it's understandable why other states do that and why Louisiana used to do that for their traditional assessment because 
the state in its position as assessment developer doesn't want to dictate curriculum content. Uh, and as we know, ELA standards are content neutral. So content decisions come from the curriculum provider. Many states have all kinds of curriculum coverage. There could be dozens of different programs that that students are drawing from. And so the state just decides to be neutral uh, when it comes to the test design. We're just going to choose these cold read passages. And it sounds nice in theory. All students get, get, get the same passages. But then when you dig into the nature of reading comprehension and the role that knowledge plays, you start to realize there's a problem here which is that not all students are going to come to the test with the same knowledge. And a lot of these cold read passages are knowledge rich. You have your informational texts, even your literary texts are going to be drawing from all kinds of topics requiring all kinds of context and background knowledge. And some students might have more than others. Some students might be lucky to have grown that knowledge even outside of school. Maybe their family is privileged to have a strong library at home or has taken them on trips to museums or to other countries and it'd be one thing if that knowledge was standardized in the classroom. So if we were to say ahead of time, okay, there's going to be a topic about the Everglades at the end of the year. There's going to be a topic about, this is Louisiana, maybe the bayou at the end of the year. All kids will have a chance to spend eight months learning about the bayou and its ecology. That's fair. But that's not how it works. So these passages are, are kept secret. So I often liken the situation of a cold read assessment to, to this, this analogy in, in history, where I think it becomes clear when we think about other subject areas and, and the importance of content in those areas. It would be like if I teach American history for a year, and then my students at the end of the year come to exam time, and they get their exam, and they open up the first page, and it's an American history exam. And they're like, wait a second, we've been learning about European history all year. This is American history. That's not fair. We're not prepared. This is essentially what happens in, in ELA tests in most states. They're not prepared because these passages are not aligned to the curriculum and the content students study in the ELA classroom. And so what's, what's great about the Louisiana assessment, and this is a sort of a theory that married really nicely with the situation on the ground Sharon described, and, and, and Elisa and Ruth can talk a lot more about how this happens and what this looks like, but what's great about the Louisiana assessment is it's based on, on hot and warm read passages, which is just a fancy way of saying it's passages students will be prepared for, right? They have been warmed up to these passages because they've been studying these, con these topics throughout the school year as part of their curriculum. The test developers know what the topics are, so they can choose passages aligned to the, the content of, of the modules and units students have studied. And now we have equity, right? We've, we've accomplished a situation where all students have been given a fair chance to succeed on those tests. And anytime I talk with these Louisiana, Louisiana people about the, the rationale and the reason behind it, that word equity comes up on a, on, on a routine basis, because I know, I know you all bake that in fundamentally to your purpose. Well, Lior, I'm so glad I asked. Thank you for that. That was so clear and concise. I appreciate it. It also, I have to say, it makes me think about how sometimes as adults, we do things to children that we as adults would never stand for. Like that example you just gave about the history exam, any adult who sat down for a test and it was not what they were taught, I mean, would be up in arms, right? This is not what I was taught. This is different than what I, than the coursework that I have taken all semester and Yet we ask children to do that. So, it, I, you know, I think it's just respectful, but also equitable in that. And thank you for that very clear explanation. I'd love to think now about the instructional materials review, development, and process. I'm curious about who created the rubric and how this process worked. Um, so do you want to know a little bit about the history of it? Do you want to know how it works and what our process is now or... Well, how, well, you how can, can you I answer, answer your curiosity? curiosity? Okay, so I feel like there are <laughs> so many things that I don't know about it, but that I wonder. Who created the rubric? Um, how? What did this process look like? Yeah. How did I mean? How did you even get to the spot where you're like, oh my gosh, we have to have a process? And then what did this process look like? And but I'm very interested in the rubric specifically too. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Great question. So we initially started this process in an informal way, uh, starting in the school year 2013-2014, um, where we really looked at, um, you know, review tools developed uh, initially by student achievement partners with the rollout of the new standards. And so this was in ELA and math, um, customized it a little bit for Louisiana and contracted with teacher leader advisors and trained them on the review tool and did some initial reviews of materials that were out at the time. To be honest, in ELA, I think only in Engage New York, and their first couple modules were out. 
but really tested the review tool. Um, as the new standards rolled out and more and more um, products were submitted, uh, we did it informally and uh, then went to legislature and had, um, through policy, uh, both through Vesey and legislature, we had Act uh, eight, uh, 389 in 2015. And so that informal process was then codified into policy where we don't have our normal text textbook caravan or thing in, in, anymore. And we really see instruction materials. Students deserve instruction materials that are aligned to the standards that are of high quality. And so at the department, we've now codified into policy ways that we review those on an online process um, by contracting with teachers and training them to do this. Um, and that is a way we try to signal quality and also incentivize school systems um, and schools to adopt high quality materials. Um, so the way the process works is that uh, we open every year and call for materials, depending on what subject area we have the need. Right now, we have it open in ELA Math, Science, and Social Studies. We um, put out an application with a task for teacher leader advisors and hire them based on their scores and then um, put them on contract and then run the submission materials from publishers um, through different groups, obviously from grade levels and different, uh, different subjects. Uh, we also review ELA intervention as well. And then those reviews come and they, our content staff that we have at LDE answers questions. Um, and then there's a whole public comment on the reviews. The reviews go back to the publisher. There's all those, those steps that tie it up in nice bow and then, and then we publish our reviews. It should be said that um, curriculum choice is a, is a local decision, like school systems make their own decisions. We really do this as an informational process, like we said, to signal quality that results in a contract at the state level. So with our tier one, uh, we, we tier them, tier one meanings aligning to the standards, tier two partially aligned, tier three not aligning. The end of that process results in a contract that school systems um, and schools can use to help that procurement process be a little bit easier. We are really trying to make the right thing to do be the easiest thing to do. So we engage in this process. We use our teachers to review. Um, they get great professional development from it. We, we make the procurement process easier on the end for school systems. And we really are forthcoming and signaling what that quality is. Um, then we also incentivize it with, with funding too. So um, it took years to develop the process, but uh, you know, we love our friends at Ed Reports, but we always like to say and, and, and poke fun with them saying we did it first. I was so. going to say, you guys are a little ahead of you your know. time there. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. And like I said, initially, we, we looked at the IMET, the Instructional Materials Evaluation Tool from Student Achievement Partners, but have made updates every year. We take a look at the tool, what got sticky with reviewers, what was hard to interpret. Um, what do we need to change based on maybe some things have passed in legislature saying we can't have this or whatever in materials and we update that. And then expand it, of course, to science. And, and now we're kicking off social that's studies nice. this year. So that's kind of our process. Again, important to have, just like with guidebooks, important to have teachers involved in that process as well. So cool. Um, I want to jump into the nitty gritty of the assessments a little bit. <laughs> so if you guys don't mind, if we can go down that road, um, I'd love to talk about, you know, you don't have to get into detail about what your old assessments looked like, but I'm just curious, like how you see that they they kind of changed and evolved with these new and innovative assessments. And if you are able to give any examples, I know our listeners would love to hear like, what's what's an example of like a, what the knowledge is in a unit or module and what kinds of texts end up on the assessments? We would just love to hear about that. And how, how do you pick those texts? I'd love to hear all of this. <laughs> Awesome. So I can speak, um, I'll speak to kind of the, the LEAP assessment of the past, the one that uh, we are still currently running for any systems that are not involved in the pilot. So uh, I say it's the past, but it actually is still our current assessment for those that are not uh, involved in our innovative assessment pilot. Um, and then Ruth, I'll pass it over to you and you can really speak to the development of, uh, of the innovative assessment. So, um, so our LEAP 2025 assessment, the one that we've all talked about that has those cold read um, tasks. So we, like any other state, have uh, contracts with big assessment vendors. 
Um, and we go through, obviously, a, a passage selection, a source selection. Um, you know, we go through that process with them. Um, and, and just like we said earlier, we put this this passage and these are rich. We, we, we don't go into commission passages for our general assessment. These are these are out of novels. These are out of texts that students might read. So these are very rich passages that we select for our current assessment. Um, we put them in front of committees. And during that time, they make sure that, you know what, this these don't have any bias um, that students may or may not have. Uh, a leg up, but like we all know, and like you said, depending on students' background and experiences, we can never be sure. We can never know that, hey, this kid right here, he knows all about that because guess what? He has this book in his home and he's read this passage that we've selected out of this novel. Um, so there's a lot of unknown there. So we call them cold read. To our knowledge, they're cold read, right? They're not attached to possible learning in the classroom, but we can't say that for sure. Um, so so in essence, they're they're not free from, um, I, I guess, bias would be the word because students may have already had access to them. So from there, our assessment design was formally built on uh, the park design. We were a park state once upon a time. So uh, we we use the passage sets. We build a uh, basic to complex questioning, uh, focusing in on word meaning, um, rich text, uh, answering questions that rely on understanding of the text, pulling evidence from that text, writing about that text. Um, so it's a lot of integrated work, nothing in isolation. Um, and then one thing we have done over the years is we've shortened the, that quote unquote park type assessment by removing one writing. So we have two writings. We always will see a research simulation style task. And then students may see a narrative or a literary task on the assessment. So, um, so that's the, the kind of structure of the assessment. Um, reporting categories, we report out on reading of information, reading of literature, vocabulary, and writing. So again, all of that around how well did I do that on text that I may or may not have encountered before. Um, so that's the basic structure of our current LEAP assessment that is out there. And I think, as mentioned before, this is what many state assessments look like, especially if you were formerly a park state. Um, you know, we, we've moved away from that, uh, that bank, obviously, but have really looking at the test design overall, other than removing that one writing, have not really made, you know, big changes. But it's a high quality assessment. Um, and that is the current design. So. Ruth, I'm going to kick it to you to really dig in, if it's okay, how the innovative assessment, uh, the reporting categories, and how the intentional design of that assessment. The design of the innovative assessment, um, and this was also talked about earlier, but we've really focused in on the units of study. And I do want to shout out here, so this is really unique in the State Department. Um, our assessment team and our academic content team, they work so closely together. So I just want to say that is very unique within an SEA because yeah. uh, first thing that my assessment team had to do was guess what? They had to go get trained on the curriculum. They had to read every book. They had to dig into every module. They had to, and many of them have not been in the classroom since this, what all of, I will say all of our assessment team were once educators. So that's helpful, but, but they had not taught these particular units, um, as teachers. So they had to get in and read all of the books and really develop this understanding of the curriculum. Um, and then from there, that's how they can design um, a, 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 an access, I think, a, an assessment that is really aligned to that curriculum. So Ruth, you're back. So do you want to try to take it from here if your internet will allow you to really talk in about passage selection and uh, reporting categories? The, this entire um, project started as a way to tap into the knowledge that um, students uh, have and without the, the idea was that to create a, a fair testing environment for all students um, and so the concept is to measure the knowledge students have actually been taught in class so that no students have uh, an unfair advantage and the idea being that all students have this background knowledge and we can build on that knowledge and um, assess the knowledge they've gained as they work with uh, their teachers in the classroom. 
And so the concept that we've built is that this is a curriculum aligned assessment and we therefore are testing on the actual uh, individual texts that students are taught by their teacher. And then from that, we build the assessment so that we bring in a a new text that is related to the the text that they were taught. Um, And then we ask more questions about that new text that the students read for the first time on the assessment. And then we ask them to to really pull together the synthesis of knowledge and to to write about the text uh, that they've read with the in class and then the new text. So the idea being that we we are testing students on the knowledge they've gained in the classroom and then how they apply that knowledge. And then the last step is the synthesis part where we are trying to see whether they're able to bring all of those pieces together and communicate um, their ideas about those texts. So uh, we're building, we have, you know, lots of pieces to the, the puzzle where we're trying to, to do many different things, but, uh, but those are the, the pieces of, of the puzzle. And we, we try, of course, it, it, the other complicated part of it is because we're uh, curriculum aligned and we're assessing the units that are taught in the class, that means that you have to do that at more than one point in the year. So it's also a, what we call a through year assessment. So students are are assessed at three different points in the year uh, after they've been taught these units of study or modules of study. It's, it's interesting, Ruth, you're you uh, you reminded me of something I was at the uh, the NCSA conference this summer and I heard Elisa talk about the three-year assessment. And Elisa, you were on a panel with with a bunch of other folks, and some of them were psychometricians talking about how hard it is to pull off three three-year assessment. Um, but something you said really struck me, which was this idea that despite all the challenges, Louisiana really had to do it because that's how the curriculum is structured, right? I mean, guidebooks and wit and wisdom have these guidebooks calls it units, Witten Wisdom calls it, calls it modules where every quarter we're learning about something new. So I, I wonder, like, from your perspective, that just kind of felt natural, like it just made sense. Yeah, definitely. I, I say that having a through course assessment was a byproduct of having this knowledge uh, building assessment or an assessment that assesses knowledge built within a unit or a module. Um, and, and again, it just worked out that, hey, to do this successfully, we need to do this throughout the year. Um, and then we've seen now all sorts of benefits with our three-year model. One of them, like Ruth mentioned, able to get some results and data back in the hands of teachers, and they can use that to uh, adjust and inform the instructional moves. Can I jump in and ask for some examples of topics that would be assessed? And I know these are driven from the curriculum, but I really want to hear the specific topics that are assessed. And maybe if even if you have a little bit of a why these topics are assessed, I think that might be interesting. Yeah, you saw Leah and I unmuted at the same time. It's a contest like, what career will we talk? I'll let great great minds talk about wisdom first. And then I'll give some examples. Oh, no, watch. Elisa's going to have a... I'll give some guys... You take it away. Well, now let Leah talk about wit and wisdom first, please. Sure, I'll I'll, I'll be happy to. Um, and and what, one thing I, sh- I should say to the the general audience: when you have a bunch of assessment people talking about <laughs> assessment, we we sometimes have to be circumspect. So I, I will try to be careful about what I can reveal. And Ruth, uh, feel free to reach across the screen and grab me uh, if I say something I shouldn't. But it's kind of amazing that I can even fumble into this question because in most assessment situations, you can't say a thing. If, if this were a cold read assessment we were talking about, we couldn't say a thing because the whole concept is these are supposed to be surprises and you don't know anything about what you're getting. It's all secure. In this case, because we're basing it off curriculum, we can talk about it. Why? Because the curriculum is public knowledge. Anyone who uses Wit and Wisdom or walks into Wit and Wisdom classroom or goes on, you know, attends a free Great Minds webinar can hear about our curriculum topics. So I'm not <laughs> spilling anything secure here to say uh wit and wisdom grade five which is is what we we piloted first uh, for for our branch of the innovative assessment we have modules on things like wordplay and the inventiveness of wordplay and the way authors use wordplay to achieve certain effects especially humor 
We have modules and corresponding assessments on the conflict of cultures uh, in the 1800s between the United States Army and the Native American tribes uh, that the Army tried to displace. And we have a module on the Civil War uh, and especially how uh, marginalized communities like children, we have a core text called the Boys' War, Experience War, and how war affected them. So I can't reveal the specific all of the specific texts that, that appear on the assessment, but you can kind of imagine what readings students might be doing on the tests about those topics. Yeah, and just to share some example, they use modules. We refer to them as units. Yeah, I love that. So it's really driven from the knowledge that students are gaining from the texts and the tasks in the curriculum. Is that right, Lior? Yeah. Exactly. You're nodding your it's head. A, yes. It's a direct. It's a direct <laughs> line between between the content and what they see on the assessment. Yeah, and very yep. similar for um, the assessments we have for guidebooks. That's amazing. We have, so I, Melissa, do you want to take the well, next question? I, I don't want to. I think Sharon has or, some, um, or Ruth. All the questions. I think here. Sharon has some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just going to give some more context around and different content. Oh, okay, perfect. Um, Sharon's uh, picture froze for me. Sorry. So, Sharon, I can't see you, but I can perfect. hear you still. Um, so, I know <laughs> Lear gave some great grade five examples, grade six. We have some units like on, um, we call it Steve Jobs, but it's really about uh, stories of, of succeeding through failure um, from a unit on out of the dust. So, you can imagine the building of knowledge is about the dust bowl and and in forms of poetry, it's a novel written in verse, and so all the related texts. So that that knowledge that's built through the unit extends and is what is assessed on an assessment, like Leora is saying. So um, powerful text, building knowledge around uh, important topics, themes, and ideas, and, and we're going to assess it in time um, to inform teachers about what their students know and are able to do. Yeah, this is also, I just wanted to say as a, I, I have my like teacher hat on for a second. I'm just sitting here thinking like, if I'm a teacher and knowing these are the assessments that are being created, right, I hear things like you're you're thinking about giving me information throughout the year so I can actually like know what's happening with my students instead of getting that in July when they're off to the next grade level. Uh, it's that just feels so good. And I, I when I heard you all talk about the assessment creators getting to know the curriculum so deeply so they can create these assessments. Like, I, again, my like teacher, like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's amazing versus, you know, you always think of these assessments just being created in a vacuum and you're like, oh gosh, these assessments, you know, but knowing that you're actually looking at what I'm going to be teaching to create them just feels, I, I feel so much better for me. I'm wondering if you all have gotten feedback from teachers about these changes, if it, if that does resonate and feel different for them. We've, um, I'm going to, again, I'm going to let Ruth, we actually just did a survey that, um, that she was able to look at some results of, but if you mind, before we go to teachers, I just know back in, uh, back in 2019, the first year we did this before the pandemic, uh, we were able to survey students and students gave feedback about the motivation and engagement and how, how they really enjoy being tested on a subject that they already, uh, quote unquote, knew is what they said. So um, our response and we have results saying that the student engagement was very, very positive. Um, so and I think that that's huge to hear that, that these kids can sit down in a test and be excited and engaged about it and really dig in. But uh, Ruth, yeah, go ahead and, and talk about what our teachers are saying. Um, yeah, the the, the teachers who work with us uh, throughout this uh, this project they are they are with us from the very beginning of course in actually helping uh, with choosing the what we call the warm read assessments those are um, the, the warm read text those are the the additional texts that are on the assessment so teachers are there to make sure that we're choosing texts that actually do connect with the units. Um, they work with us on um, making sure our items are free of bias and sensitivity. So we bring them in at a variety of points and they also help us with setting the range of scores and, um, and helping us to develop scoring materials. So we're thrilled to have those teachers in um, involved in the assessment and they're the ones who help guide us and make sure that we're on the right path. Uh, we trust in, in their um, their beliefs and their ideas about how 
curriculum and assessment are, are connected and we very much value their work there. They, in fact, are what um, helped me to keep going in this, this work. Um, they believe in this assessment and we've seen, you know, we've served, we surveyed teachers throughout um, the year and um, all, we, we get such positive feedback about how they're so thankful for this, this finally being the kind of assessment that we're working toward because they are able to just focus on what they need to be focusing on rather than worrying about some, you know, random assessment that doesn't really connect with what they're teaching. So they feel confident in it and they've seen that their students are confident. So it's um, it's been tremendous to see their support and to uh, rely on their guidance, but also to to feel like that we are helping them to be able to do the job that they set out to do, which was to to teach English, to help kids um, learn to appreciate literature and and to learn to communicate and to to find the joy in that. Um, so it, it that's been a tremendous um, benefit to me in the, in the position uh, working with those teachers every day. They help us help us keep keep this thing going and uh, help us feel like we're on the right track. Um. Our, our Great Minds team is able to directly support the teachers who are, are teaching Wit and Wisdom and whose students are taking the Wit and Wisdom aligned innovative assessments, right? Just like Ruth's team can directly support those who are taking guidebooks. Uh, so on the Wit and Wisdom side, our, our PDIS team through Liz Manolis is, is in constant communication with the teachers. And a, a couple things that, that I notice, I've sat in on a couple of office hours that Liz Manolis has with our Louisiana teachers. Two things I noticed. One, all of the discussions in office hours are about instruction. I haven't heard them spend one minute talking about item format, like what types of items are there going to be and, and how does and what do students click on? And and I haven't heard one question about quote unquote traditional test preparation, like do we set aside two hours to take a practice test and get it scored and shut down the school? Which is like I know because in most other testing situations, that's all you hear about, right? And it's 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 really quite revolutionary, I think, to have those conversations go in that instructional direction. It's directly because of the the nature of the test, right? So Liz will get into this is how the test is constructed. Kids are going to be writing about text. Oh, they're writing about text we learned in class. Oh, well, let's talk about the instructional support. So we we put in place for that. Um, and then the other thing I noticed is uh, thanks to to Ruth and others, I had the privilege of being able to to take a peek at some of the student responses. And uh, we're, we're not allowed to, to share a lot of details about those because they are secure. But what, one thing I did notice, and I think I can say this, Ruth, because I saw dozens of students do this. So it wasn't just a, a small end count. Uh, almost uh, almost uh, the, the most common trend I noticed in student writing was, was a certain phrase that students would use when they introduced their evidence. And it was something along the lines of, I know this because blank. And then after the blank, it would be a detail from the book. Now, that, that's kind of a clunky transition. I mean, let's be honest, like you probably wouldn't see a transition like that in, in like the Atlantic or the New Yorker among you know, professional adult writers. But wow, for fifth graders to use a phrase like that, I know this because it was a, it was wonderfully reaffirming to read because it tells me how confident these students are in their knowledge. They're excited to be able to share it. And they have a very clear sense of the relevance of that knowledge to what they are writing about. Um, and think about how rarely, Elisa, on your your traditional leap, I don't know if you've ever seen students say something like that in their you know research simulation task. Yeah, I know this because right because they're just responding immediately to those cold read assessments and hoping they can they can pick a few random things up. So it was it was very reaffirming to, for me to see that that kids were feeling that kind of success. Elisa, I'm wondering if the reason why they're writing more is because they have something to write about, like they have the knowledge to to write about something. And I mean, not just knowledge from, you know, one text, knowledge from lots of texts and then working through different tasks prior to. And also, I wonder the role of that confidence plays in all of this. I just have so many more questions for you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's something else that we can say here is that we definitely noticed that students in comparison to the traditional assessment, they're writing more, right? They they actually writing um, ha, has been, I think it's probably across the nation, but definitely in Louisiana, it's a struggle 
Um, and we see on this assessment that students are uh, writing more uh, on these tests. Well, when you think about it, as students have engaged in that topic around uh, text and related text for at least nine weeks or so, and they've been reading, they've been writing and responding to their reading, engaging in really robust conversations around this topic. Um, so we think about confidence and engaged. They're like, oh, well, I've been talking about this. I've been reading about this. I've been researching about this and writing about this. The level of anxiety goes down a little bit. This is just like what I was doing in class. Uh, yeah, so we uh, we have uh, been out to monitor this assessment and um, and we get to actually see students engage with the assessment. We do that for all of our assessments. That's part of uh, the role um, the assessment folks had is to make sure everything's moving as it should. And, um, and it's been fun to watch our students engage with this particular assessment. Um, We've actually had some monitors come back and say the only problem is that the kids want to talk about it and and they you know they're so excited and and one monitor even said that she saw a kid you know raise his hand during the test to say hey I know this one <laughs> which That's really um, funny. <laughs> yeah it's a, you know it's a it's of course um, the fact that it's a secure environment that we can't talk about the test, but the kids want to talk about it. So, you know, that doesn't happen very often in the assessment world. Um, they're so confident also. We, and we surveyed over a thousand students uh, this past year and over and over and over, that's what came back in the survey results. The kids were talking about that they, they were so thrilled that they knew the material that that they felt more confident about it. And that that's just a nice aside. It wasn't what we set out to do, but goodness, it's nice to see and nice to feel that we are creating an environment where we're not uh, stressing kids, especially in a, a very stressful time. You know, they, these are really, these are crazy times. So it's we're, we're glad to see that that's um, been a benefit of the assessment. Uh, a very nice, nice benefit for the kids. Ruth, I love that. Yeah. Uh, Lori, I just want to talk about another, I mean, I feel like we, we get so excited when we talk about this assessment, but just another product that we've, I think we've touched on, Leor definitely touched on it with really pushing teachers into what they're teaching, into that high quality, high quality instructional materials. And I think that's, um, that that can't be, you know, uh, overstated in the fact that you're eliminating a need for a lot of um, unnecessary testing to be done throughout the year. Um, uh, you know, looking at outside vendors to bring in other types of assessments to kind of gauge to this more cold read type assessment. We really are pushing teachers into this high quality instructional material. So that's where the preparation comes in. Teachers are, how do I get better at teaching this material and these uh, teaching the standards this way um, versus let me take out my practice test and let me take out my my other um, ancillary materials and and try to prepare students in that way. So this is just a very meaningful instruction. So and that's powerful. Yeah, that's such a good point, Elisa, too, because if you know, if you have an assessment that's kind of the old way of doing assessment, but you do get high quality materials, it is yeah, I, I can see why teachers might go back to the old way of preparing for those assessments if the mm -hmm. assessment doesn't match these new materials that they have. So that's a really good point. Yeah, and the Louisiana, our theory of action and, and academics is aligned, you know, curriculum, professional development and assessment. And all of those things have to be in line for the best benefit of teachers and students. And I could speak to, we've got high quality curriculum, we have a, a PD vendor guide for high quality professional development. But a lot of times when we're engaged in that development, especially in ELA around the importance of building knowledge and we're presenting them with research and, and really great experientials where they feel, you know, I can't read this text because I don't know anything about, you know, you know, the, the Pacific bycats model, but, <laughs> you know, they don't can't do that. And they feel it and they feel it and they know it and they see in their curriculum and then it's, but it always comes like, but what about that end of the year right. test? I don't know what's on there. There's that's always the missing piece that leads into they're with me. They're with me with the curriculum. I, I get it. 
but what about that? And this is that final piece where they can see all of those things aligned and, and really feel confident in what I'm teaching, um, what I'm presenting to my students, what knowledge I'm building and what's going to be assessed and how I'm going to get information to do that better in the next in the next unit. What what we have realized from this assessment and, and it's part of what we set out to do is that we we wanted teachers to be able to focus on 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 what's important and um, this you know these are hard times for teachers they they're facing so many obstacles and we hate that testing has become one of those obstacles so with this assessment we feel like teachers can truly just focus on what they need to be focusing on which is curriculum and with um, the the joy of these different materials and um, so this assessment we feel like allows them to to not worry so much they just you know they can can do the job they've set out to do and and that's the meaningful um, job of teaching English uh, being able to truly instill a love of, of reading in students to hopefully create lifelong readers, which is something that every English teacher should be trying to do. And so through this assessment, we feel like that we're removing some of the obstacles and some of the worries and the stress and allowing folks to just concentrate on the important pieces of, of this world of uh, teaching English. And uh, so, uh, and we've seen, you know, these teachers are phenomenal. They are uh, working through incredible times and, uh, and they, they inspire us every day to, to keep working and, and to make this hopefully a better environment for them and for the students. Definitely. Yeah. Ruth, the thing that I wrote down as you were talking was that this is truly respectful of students as learners and teachers as educators. That's what keep like that just keeps resonating with me throughout this entire conversation. And I'm wondering if there's anything else. I mean, just without having to record a whole nother podcast, which we completely could. But is there anything else that you all would like listeners to know? about the assessment or the assessment work, I should say, the innovative assessment work. Let's give it the whole title here. Well, I'll say that the innovative assessment work um, is not easy. So we've had to uh, just psychometrically, we've, we've had to show something called comparability. Um, it's taken, it, it takes a lot of work to, to get um, this assessment. You know, we now have, we did it right this year. We did, uh, all three administrations, and we have actual ad operational scores um, that are being used in our accountability model. Um, so it's exciting, but it's a it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of great work. And uh, we have wonderful partners, and it's so exciting to see everyone that's uh, that's that's on board with this, such as Great Minds um, and and our NWEA, so our other partner in this work. So. I'm wondering if you all can tell us a little bit about anything that's coming next. I'm also thinking about you have a, f a few um, curricula that you're designing these assessments for. And what's the is there a plan to do that for other curricula that's being implemented in Louisiana? Well, I, I think that we really want to look at how, you know, how are we analyzing the data that we got off of this first year of this um, of this full testing event. That's what we're doing right now. I think that we are definitely expanding this through three through eight in our state with a guidebook. And then we are working with great minds to look at expansion with that curriculum. Um, I, I think that, that this is such going to be such a powerful model. I think there it needs to be conversations about going forward, about how how can other um, publishers do what great minds has done um to really you know we we like i said partnerships across our agency because we wrote the guidebook and then partnerships with uh great minds because that's their curriculum you won't have a successful test without those partnerships so we're definitely open to uh you know building more partnerships and sky's the limit right 
Well, because we have a, we have several high quality uh, materials out there. Yeah, I feel like we're in a great spot where there are so many high quality materials in existence. So we're really lucky. I know we're coming to a close. So I wanted to kind of turn our attention to uh, a new ending that we've been doing. We are going to ask you questions and we have one for each of you. Lior, we did leave you out because you've already answered these. So I just wanted to name that up front. (laughs) I'd love to start with you, Sharon, if it's okay. What do you love to read? Well, um, I... One, read a lot of educational stuff now in my work, but in my, in my real life, in my real life, I love fantasy fiction. Um, Ooh. yeah, I was, a, I mean, I like to say I was a Game of Thrones fan before the movie. I mean, before the TV show came out, same with Outlander. Um, but I do like some, um, some fantasy always, you know, grew up on Tolkien and, and, and all that stuff. So I know, which is, not typical, but uh, that's what I do for my fun stuff. But mostly I read educational articles and journals now. Bomb, bomb. Kind of boring. Yeah, I feel like I'm with you there. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. You're like falling asleep reading about, you know, a new research study on decodable text, you know? <laughs> exactly. I feel like it's one or two spectrum. It's like, whoa, this, you know, super, you know, rich educational research or it's, you know, fantasy world with or- orcs and trolls and whatnot and time travel. Yes. <laughs> that resonates. I get it. Alisa, you're up next. What do you love to watch? Oh, I don't get the reading question. What do I? Oh my God. No. So embarrassing because this is so easy for me. I am a true crime junkie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I relax to forensic <laughs> files and crime junkie podcasts and that's listening. But um, yeah, that's what I like to watch. Sorry. Oh my gosh, I'm cracking up. That is really funny <laughs> and fun. I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've just gotten into the first season of Serial. So I... I never could do it before. I can't watch scary movies, but that is something that sparked yeah. my interest because I can listen to it and it does, it's not gory I, or anything. Yeah. So that's been a nice, uh, just, I also cannot watch any sort of like horror movies. Uh, but yeah, I have watched <laughs> I and rewatched. I'm just, I really need to go find the forensic file people and tell them I'm ready. I'm waiting a long time for my <laughs> next, my next season. So I'm glad maybe that there aren't a next season, right? Like maybe bad things are slowing down, but I just need my fix. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. I love that. Ruth, what do you love to listen to? Okay. Um, I love, love listening to audiobooks. I, um, if I'm, Stuck in tra- stuck in traffic. That's what gets me through commutes. Um, I uh, and I, I try to bring in a variety. I in particular love young adult literature, and because it has a faster pace and uh, it's uh, much more exciting than adult literature sometimes. So most recently, I've been listening to uh, a book called Pet, um, and. I've been working on speculative fiction, but I try not to be trapped by genre. I'm always looking for something new. Um, I also love listening to music, uh, anything Indigo Girls, Brandy Carlisle, Mary Chapin Carpenter. Again, I I try to listen to a variety of things and and, um, keep my mind moving and uh, not, not be trapped into one particular style of music or literature so yeah um those are the things i've been listening to lately yeah i was gonna say they missed out on a whole nother podcast if they should just ask what's ruth reading um just just saying and put out there um i don't want to tell our ages but i I mean as she shared at the beginning we worked together when i started when i started teaching i'm not going to say when you start teaching, but I started teaching in 1997. So we've known each other for a time. And my favorite thing to ask is, Ruth, what are you reading? So you could do a whole other episode just on that. 
So our last and final question, and we'll do the same order oh. we did our introductions. So we'll go Sharon, Ruth, Lisa. Um, why do you do what you love for education and literacy? Um, and I know when Ruth shared, she's like, oh, the responses we got from the students. And like, that's not what we started out. But that's why I get up every day. And I think about, you know, all the students, over 800,000 students going, getting up and going to school in Louisiana schools every day. And I go to work every day and do what I do to have an impact on them so that they can have a better life and a better future and be lifelong uh, readers and learners. They're my motivation. Um, I have been working in this field for 40 years now and uh, love uh, talking about literature, love writing and love inspiring others uh, to read and write. And I, I, love the work I'm in now where I get to help teachers with that role. Um, I love um, exploring new worlds with students and helping, helping teachers to connect with new literature that maybe they haven't found discovered before um, and uh, helping them to inspire their students to, to really become lifelong readers and um, I uh, am inspired by the teachers I work with every day. Uh, I really feel like they're they're the true heroes who work through the incredible odds of the profession. Um, it's become such a complicated world for them. So I'm very thankful for their work, and um, and I I do this for them. I do the work for for. Uh, teachers and for their students. And I truly believe that if we're going to make this world a better place, we do that through literacy. And that's, that's what keeps me going. Well, it's hard to follow up with something very unique from, uh, from those two responses, because I also do it for the kids. Um, I, of, of this group, I probably had the, I was in the classroom teaching the guidebooks when they were first developed back in, um, gosh, 2013. And, and I saw, I, like I said, I, I have a background in special education and I saw the power of, of learning and the power of the modules and the power of rich text um, and a student connecting with a character and, and digging in deep and the learning that can take place in that classroom. Speaking about building up knowledge and, and experiences that students may not ever get to have um, some of them, you know, in reality, but can experience that through that classroom and through that learning. So. Um, just to continue to instill a love of reading, uh, curiosity, um, and then, gosh, just, you know, I, I think there's something special whenever you're building that knowledge in that classroom um, for them to sit in front of a test and be able to say, I know this, I learned this and I know this and to, to build up that confidence, you know, um, and, and encourage them to keep on uh, with their with their learning journey. So. Um, definitely do it for the kids. And of course, my heart is always for those kids who uh, are less fortunate maybe than others that that may not ever get access to something um, so special in their lives outside of those walls. Oh, it was such an honor to talk with you all today. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing this innovation with us. And we hope that it catches on. I was going to say like nationwide, but I really think worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get on worldwide and I, I feel like I've been laughing a lot during this episode because I've been so happy that this is happening in Louisiana and I hope that this joyous assessment strategy just spreads all over. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you everybody. It was so great to meet you all. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank Goodbye. you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, Literacy Lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content. We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast Facebook group, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. 
If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast in this episode are not necessarily the opinions of Grey Minds PBC or its employees.